back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And this is the second recording we're doing in one day, which I don't think we've ever done before. We did it once. Did we? It did. It was a lot. It was a lot. We did it at once and we did it at night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nighttime recordings are kooky. Second recordings in one day. Yeah. Kookier. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah. But uh, we're going to we're going to make it through. We're yeah. going to pull through. Like Bernie Sanders pulled through at the inauguration. You know, it's one thing to like have Donald Trump out of office and have a new candidate like Joe Biden in who like talking to my American friends, they were very much like, you know, it's nice to like wake up in the morning and not have to worry that we're like at risk for (laughs) nuclear warfare. You know, like what did he say today? Yeah. Like it's nice to not have to do that like scary scroll in the morning to find out what happened after you went to sleep, like what crazy things the president said and tweeted. So like, you know, there's that relief. But but let me tell you, Bernie Sanders, <laughs> Bernie Sanders had his moment uh, at the inauguration. Those mittens. Yeah. They're going to fly off the shelves. Oh, my God. Like, like funny pattern mittens it's are going to be in. Every parent is going to be for Halloween. <laughs> Taking their kids out, a blue, like, a blue multi-pack mask. Oh. Mittens. Halloween costume for sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I was seeing one some blog or something that was just like the fashions of the inauguration. They were talking about like Jill Biden's dress and like yeah. how all the women wore monochromatic. And I and was how just like, Michelle Obama looked fire, fire. It's just like, you're lying to yourselves. If anyone gives a shit about that, like it's just him sitting cross arm, just like an with old the mail, man. with the mail. <laughs> I was like, what is this? What are the best posts I saw? And it came out like before everybody started getting really excited and putting Bernie everywhere. It was, <laughs> it was when it was like, um, 10 a.m. Uh, like do like he had to do something like 10 a.m. Go to the store, 11 a.m. Like Joe's thing, and then it was like 12:30. Drop something off at the post office. <laughs> like yeah, but it was like stamps. Joe's thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was like that's so funny because that's totally his day. Bernie Sanders was like, oh okay, like gonna get up, gonna go do this thing. I'm looking forward to a boring presidency. And I yeah. think it's going to be boring because the most exciting thing of the inauguration was just an old man sitting in a chair. And that Lady Gaga looked like she was going to the Hunger Games capital. Oh, I didn't see what she wore. Oh, my God. Well, I, it, let's just say for Lady Gaga, it was quite tame. I mean, it was <laughs> fine. It was just a very it was a very large pink skirt. So kind of like ball gown, okay. pinkish, like was this Reddish at the speech skirt. or was this at like the she ball? was at the speech, so she oh, okay. sang the national anthem. Oh, and so, okay. so she was in the skirt, like fine, like it's Lady Gaga, like, like she gets some exceptions, like it's fine. So she wore yeah. the skirt; it was nice, and then she had on a very tailored navy, like kind of winter suit jacket over okay. top. Yeah, also nice. But then on that suit jacket. She had a one article I saw reference it as oversized, and I was like, "That's not even. That's not even. <laughs> it doesn't begin. Doesn't to begin describe. to describe. It was probably as big as a pie plate, like circumference, but it was a. It was a large. I think it was a. I don't know if it was a dove or an eagle. It was some <laughs> kind of bird. Okay, but it was very reminiscent of like that Hunger Games look. But it was huge, and it was like on her lapel, like a pin. Oh, like it was just like it was casually there <laughs> as a pin, but it was bigger than her face. Like it like, was huge. Like '90s rappers who wear like a giant claw. A hundred percent. Yes, exactly like that. But just this large gold bird, like on her chest, <laughs> and then she had do, 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 right, right. But the rest of it was all like very like her hair and her makeup weren't like wild lady. Gaga like the skirt yeah. was like 
the meat wild broth. stayed at home. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but wow, this pin, <laughs> holy guacamole! <laughs> it was a big one. <laughs> I yeah, I, evidently I didn't actually watch the inauguration, but like yeah. the the Bernie Sanders memes have been delightful. No, the inauguration was super chill. Um, Mike Pence went. I did see that, which was. Apparently, in a statement he released to the media, because Trump is, I think, the first president to, to not, not attend. There might have been, like, an, another, like, I, I know some presidents had, like, died or been assassinated, so obviously they weren't <laughs> yeah. there. JFK didn't make it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I think Donald Trump might be the only one who, like, chose not to go. Um, but Mike Pence went, and his statement was, is that he had already sent in his RSVP to the inauguration before Trump planned his, his, like, event, so. And you can't back out And you that. can't back out of the inauguration, so he was like, I, I, I came. <laughs> I think the yeah. real thing is people just like to do fancy stuff. Yeah. Oh, people 100%. just want to go to fancy events. 100%. The wife already had the designer exactly. suit dress yeah. planned out, and she was like, so. you want me to back out? Yeah. Hell no. Well, and it was also kind of nice. It was like, okay, maybe, like, I mean, I know you want to pray the gay away, Mike Pence, but yeah. maybe you, like, see. At least he knows how to play the game. Exactly. Like, you just got to be a politician sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a pretty cool thing to, like, see and to, like, know that maybe America is going to be just boring for a little while. Just boring. I'm yep. not even asking for okay. Just no, boring. Just boring. <laughs> yep, that'd be great. That'd be great. So what are we... Yeah. Ready to get into it? I'm Ah! ready. I'm excited. It's a new Heritage Minute. One of the newer ones. Um, We're going to talk about Richard Pierpont. Or Pierpont. I believe it's pronounced with an English pronunciation. What did he do? So he was a former slave who came to Canada as a black loyalist. Mm -hmm. And then he participated in the founding of an all-black division for the 12 Years' War. And he fought in that. So okay. it's kind of just about his life. I believe the Heritage Minute itself is actually about Queenston Heights, okay. which was a battle that took place, and he was a prominent figure in it. And essentially this black unit manages to defeat American forces. Very cool. Yeah. So it's like a very, uh, you know, tame Heritage Minute. We're kind of in the the the, the shadow of Martin Luther King Day. Mm, uh, yes. As of... Where we are now, when this comes out, it'll be a little past that. Yeah. But I think we are also coming up on Black History Month, at least in Nova Scotia, this upcoming month in February. Mm-hmm. I so, think it's all of North America. Is it all over North America? Yeah. Great. Even better. Even so, better. <laughs> we're going to talk about an important person in Canada's black history. Very cool. Richard Pierpont. I love it. I've determined that that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. Okay. It's hard when we've gone through so many French-Canadian oh, I know. topics as of late, because I want to call him Richard so bad. <laughs> but it's Richard. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> and we're also, to start off, we really don't know a lot about his young life. Okay. Is the case with a lot of former slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that he was born around the year 1744 in okay. the West African country of Bondu, which is now modern day Senegal. Oh, okay. His birth name is not known, so we don't know what he went by when he lived there. In the early 18th century, life in Bondu, a state south of the Sahara, northeast of Gambia River, and slightly inland from the Atlantic Ocean, was chaotic and diverse. The region covered more than 30,000 square kilometers with a population of about 30,000 people. 
It was ruled by the Fulani Muslims and had become the center for the rise of the West Africa-wide Fula Empire. So it's kind of like a capital city, capital country. The region was engulfed in theocratic wars with many Islamic lineages seeking political power and control. Mm -hmm. Food production plummeted, and during these periods, famine plagued the region, negatively affecting the political situation and increasing the trigger for militant control of the economic activity. Mm. In Bondu, Pierpont would have learned the storytelling traditions of a Grigo. So a Grigo, or a Ajali, is a West African storyteller, historian, and troubadour who preserves and shares genealogies, histories, and oral traditions. God, there are there are a few words in the English language that I just love. And troubadour? <laughs> Damn, that's one of them. Troubadour is an excellent word. That is a great word. And that's what he would have been. So there's within this culture, there's a very strong oral history, oral tradition. Very cool. Culture. And so... Being a young man in that society, he would have learned a lot of those skills. And that goes a long way to us even knowing about him mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that we do know he existed. Mm-hmm. He was very prominent in storytelling and keeping. Very cool. In 1760, at the age of 60, slave traders captured and imprisoned Pierpont, making him one of 12 to 12.8 million Africans who were sold into the transatlantic slave trade. They likely sold him on the coast of Fort James to English traders who brought him across the Atlantic Ocean to be sold in 13 British colonies. A British officer purchased and enslaved Pierpont and then worked and then he would have worked in the officer's home. So he would have worked in the northern colonies. Okay. He was not part of one of the southern colonies. And this is a region where you wouldn't have plantation slavery to the same extent. Right. So he's more of like a status symbol for that officer to say like, I own a person the way that you own a Lamborghini. Hmm. It's just like this person and he works in my house. Yeah. That's such a, I'm, I just feel so lucky that (laughs) that's such a far fetched, just uncomfortable way of thinking. Yeah, like that makes me uncomfortable to think about it like that. And I mean, it should because that yeah. was because that was because you have good morals and yeah. ethics. <laughs> but uh, it's awful. Yeah. So he was enslaved for about 20 years and was likely given the name of the officer who enslaved him. So Pierpoint or Pierpont, that would have been the name of the officer that owned him. And again, we don't know very much about his enslavement other than he was likely serving as a house servant. Mm -hmm. Exactly how Richard regained his freedom is also unclear, but it it appears that it happened during the American Revolution. Okay. So for a lot of slaves, the American Revolution was an opportunity to earn your freedom if you fought as a loyalist. Oh, yes. Okay. So in 1775, the royal governor of Virginia granted freedom to all persons enslaved by rebels in that colony in exchange for their military service against those same rebel Americans. Uh So if you fight for the loyalists and at the end of the war, you will be set free Mm -hmm. because it also takes financial gain away from the rebels, the, the patriots. Right. Pierpoint may have been promised his freedom in exchange for service, assuming the British officer who had purchased him remained loyal to the crown. Okay. On the 30th of June, 1779, British Army General Sir Henry Clinton issued the Phillipsburg Proclama- Proclamation promising freedom to all persons enslaved by American rebels. Hmm. 
1780, Richard was listed as a pioneer in but the in butts but, in butts. In 1780, Pierpoint was listed as a pioneer in Butler's Rangers, a loyalist provincial military unit of the American Revolutionary War raised by American loyalist John Butler. Hmm. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> You're all butlers. <laughs> That's why we have named it the Butler's <laughs> Rangers. <laughs> all of you have lived and worked in the most prestigious <laughs> occupation Butlers. <laughs> that of the butler. The butler. The butler did it. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> what is a butler? Is a butler uh, like head servant or just any servant could be a I butler? I don't know. It's such a... Can I be a butler or is a, that a man thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like a butler is, yeah, I feel like that's like the head, the chief position. Yeah, like they run the house. Yeah. Like, the butler does more than, like, a servant. Yeah, like, he's, like, your PA. Yeah. The 1800s version of a PA. Yeah. <laughs> they don't answer your calls, but they probably, like, preview your letters for you. They're like, mm, this is just from your <laughs> sister. It's not very exciting. They hold it up to steam. Yeah, I already <laughs> put it in the fire. <laughs> you didn't need to worry about that. It would just stress you out. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I'll get in touch. <laughs> I'll send our regards. <laughs> so, no, sorry. They're not all butlers. Okay. Um, they, they, they are in John Butler's division. Um, most members of the regiment were loyalists from upstate New York. The Rangers were accused of participating in, or at least failing to prevent, the Wyoming Valley Massacre of July 1778 and the Cherry Valley Massacre of November 1778. <laughs> the Cherry <laughs> not Valley. Doing a good job. They're just like the Cherry Valley Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> the cotton candy killings. <laughs> um, <laughs> so these were. Killings of European settlers, including some loyalists, by Iroquois forces. Mm. So, oh, we're back on the Iroquois. Yeah, I guess I should. Sorry, I shouldn't say. I say I should say the Haudenosaunee. But oh yeah, um, yeah. Apparently, either they let it happen, or they were just really bad at protecting anybody. Hmm. <laughs> These actions earned the Rangers a reputation for ruthlessness, no holds barred warfare tactics. Whoa, yeah, quote. <laughs> and I quote, <laughs> they fought principally in western New York and Pennsylvania, but ranged as far west as Ohio and Michigan and as far south as Virginia. Their winter quarters were constructed on the west bank of the Niagara River in what is now Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario. Hmm. In 1780, this is where Richard was stationed and engaged in guerrilla warfare against American rebels. In 1784, Richard was still in the Niagara region. Having been honorably discharged, he was named on a list of settlers in the area, among other disbanded rangers. That's pretty cool, though. I feel like at that time, a lot of uh, a lot of African Americans, African Canadians, weren't being given like citizenship value. Like, yeah, no, like to be able to go from being a slave to then being able to own land under your yeah, name. Yeah, be a citizen. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been a really, really big deal. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that there were a, a fair number of other black loyalists in, his in the area. Yeah. yeah. Blacks were entitled to the same proportion of land as their fellow loyalists. Mm -hmm. And about 1788, Richard 
under his more common name. Okay, so okay. <laughs> oh God, we're gonna we're just gonna have to say it. This is oh, a thing. No. I don't think it means what? then what it means now. What? But he has two very common nicknames. Okay, that he goes by. Okay, I'm assuming one is Dick. One of them is Captain Dick. Okay, okay, because Dick is short for Richard. Yeah, and the other one is Black Dick. <laughs> Okay. Which, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just, okay. that's just, that's, that's just, that's history, folks. Okay. Sometimes we make mistakes in the so. past. So, like, through a lot of historical documentation, Richard is just known as Black Dick. Because I think he's just the okay. Richard who is black in the community. And Dick is a... Mm. Is a nickname for okay. Richard. Just like Little Richard was just the Richard who was little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. This, it's the same thing, except worse. <laughs> except no one called Little Richard Little Dick. It's, like, <laughs> it's the best because the Dictionary of Canadian Biography, which I use a lot as a resource for these. Shout out to the shout Dictionary, out to of, Dictionary of Canadian Biography. Yeah. But it's like the first thing they do is like name, pseudonyms, birth and death date. And like nearest relatives, nearest of kin. And so it was like, I just saw it and I was like, this is the first thing I know about this person. <laughs> <laughs> that they go by Captain Dick or Black Dick. Captain Black Dick. Oh, oh dear. Okay, but we can be mature. Yeah. And we can power through. Sure can. Alrighty. Let's call him Richard. Let's call him Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Richard was granted 200 acres of land on the 12 Mile Creek in what later became Grantham Township. He received his patents for the land on the 10th of March, 1804, only to sell his lots on the 11th of November, 1806, one going to the dominant figure in the region, Robert Hamilton. Why did he do that? Probably, I imagine Robert just, like, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. It's just like, give me the land, and, you know, you won't have to, like, plow it and clear it, and I'll just give you cash. Oh, okay. Probably not a bad deal. Probably a good deal. Especially because, as we'll go into, he never gets married. He never has kids. Aww. So there's, like, accounts that, like, he would, he had, like, a lady friend. Mm -hmm. But he never got married. So I, I think part of it is probably that, you know, he didn't have anybody to leave right. anything to. So why would he try to, like, accumulate wealth? Right. When Richard received his 200-acre grant, he still needed to clear and develop the land in order to receive letters of patent and to be officially recognized as the owner. Richard would have been required to clear at least five acres of land per 100 acres granted for farming and road frontage and to build a log cabin of a minimum size. So we talked about that in the Laura Secord episode, yeah. I believe, where they, they have like certain obligations when they're given the land. Right. You can't just own land. You right. have to actually develop it. Mm -hmm. So that's probably part of the reason he sold some of it off. On the 29th of June, 1794, Richard signed the Petition of Free Negroes with 18 other black residents of Upper Canada. Some scholars believe that Richard may have written the petition himself. The petition was sent to Lieutenant Governor John Graves Simcoe and reflects the reality many early black residents in Canada faced, perhaps because they encountered difficulties in clearing and settling their land grants alone. The petitioners, many of whom were former soldiers, asked for the ability to settle adjacent to each other so they could establish a community and work collectively to clear their lands. So they're so isolated in their new homes that where white settlers could mm -hmm. call on their neighbors to help them. I think black settlers don't have that access to community 
right. as easily. So that's why they want to settle a black community so they can act neighborly to each other right. and help each other keep their lands, yeah. which I'm sure is also partly the scheme of like, yeah, we're going to give them this land, but there's no way they're going to be able to actually develop it. And so in five years, we'll just get it back. Yeah. They'll be evicted off of it. Yeah. They specifically asked for the opportunity to, quote, give assistance in work to those amongst them who may most want it. Okay. In addition to the desire to live communally, the petition specifically expressed the wish that the signatories be allowed to live on a tract of land separate from white settlers. This suggests that the problems these men faced went beyond isolation. Black loyalists and settlers in colonial Canada very likely faced prejudice and discrimination from white settlers. Okay. The Executive Council of Upper Canada heard the request on the 8th of July, 1794, and rejected the petition. <laughs> okay. It's like, eh, no. And next. <laughs> Refusing to separate the black community from the majority white settlers. They're also probably looking to assimilate them. Right. Which is what we do best mm. in Canada. <laughs> this is history for you folks. Boop, boop, <laughs> Richard successfully cleared his land and received his patents on the 10th of March, 1804, but sold his lots two years later, as we previously discussed. He's now more than 60 years old, and he remained in the Niagara region, likely working as a laborer or a farmer. Hmm. When war broke out between Britain and the United States in 1812, Richard was 68 years old. Yeah. Nevertheless, he petitioned military leadership to create an all-black militia to fight for the British. Mm-hmm. There were many black veterans of the American Revolution in which they fought for the British living in Upper Canada. Toward 1812, the prospect of an American invasion posed a major threat to the liberties enjoyed by some black Canadians, leading many black men to join the militia. So in some ways, like they they stand more to lose than anybody mm-hmm. if there's an American invasion exactly. because they can just be sold into slavery again. Yep. Many understood that American victory could lead to re-enslavement. Free black men had served in the militia since its organization in 1793. However, the formation of an independent company composed entirely of black men was not proposed until the eve of the War of 1812 when Richard offered to raise a corps of black men in the Niagara region. Mm -hmm. The offer was initially rejected by the Upper Canada government, but reconsidered following the American occupation of Sandwich, which is now Windsor. (laughs) Okay. Windsor used to be called Sandwich. That's funny. Uh, on July 12th, That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I wonder if there's a Windsor sandwich. Like, you know, like some places know. have a sandwich named after them. Oh, yeah. What would go on a Windsor know. sandwich? Hmm. White bread, for no, sure. No, Windsor's really, like, famous for their pizza. Oh, really? Yeah. So maybe, like, a pizza It's, sub. like, the only, yeah, it's, like, the only thing other than having Detroit to look at all day that Windsor is particularly, <laughs> like, well-known for. And, like, skiing, right? Is, the, is it a skiing area? Or am I crazy? That's Windsor here. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's not previously known as Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Windsor, Windsor, Nova Scotia has a ski hill called Martok. I don't think Windsor, Ontario has a ski hill. (laughs) Or if it does, I don't know how popular. I don't know. I don't know. Slide into Detroit. (laughs) Yeah. By late August, the Corps of All Black Canadian Company had formed in Niagara as part of the first Lincoln militia. But instead of granting Richard command, the honor was bestowed to a local white officer, Captain Robert Runchy. Which... Runchy? Runchy. It's like, it's... 
his idea, and it's an all-black militia, but they get a white officer to command it. And apparently he was, like, a total ass. (laughs) No one liked him either. Naturally. Um, Captain Runchy was described as worthless, troublesome, and malcontent (laughs) by his superiors. Not even, like, the men under his command. (laughs) Not words that I want to be described as. (laughs) I can't imagine what the men underneath him are thinking if that's what the superiors think of him. Yeah. Runchy fulfilled his reputation for poor leadership by segregating black men from other militiamen. Um, in some cases, Runchy hired out black soldiers as domestic servants to other officers. Or butlers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he is a butler. You may have him. They're like, you're not British, Runchy. What are you doing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, when I think that someone's just no, like mean I, no, and racist. No, I was yeah. <laughs> British. Oh, but in the past, he, like, speaks with a British accent. They're like, you've never even been to Britain. (laughs) That'd be really Mm. funny. It's just like, and everybody knows. It's like, you're not fooling anybody. just like, shut up, Runchy. Not surprisingly, recruiting in the Niagara Peninsula proved difficult, and Runchy's company of colored men, which is what it was called, (laughs) nicknamed, um, the rem- CCM. <laughs> the RCCM uh, remained small. So not a whole lot of recruits. Uh, because I guess his, his reputation preceded him. Mm, <laughs> sounds like it. In early October, 14 black soldiers were transferred to the unit from the 3rd York Militia. The majority of the men in the Corps lived in Upper Canada, in towns and villages in the Niagara region in York, which is today Toronto, mm-hmm. um, the Bay of Quinty near Belleville. Oh, Belleville. Yeah. Yeah. One of the men, George Martin from Niagara, had been freed from enslavement by his father, Peter, in 1797. And he's quite a famous person in um, Canadian black history as well, because four years before this, Peter Martin, so his father, witnessed and reported the Chloe Cooley incident, an incident in which Cooley's owner violently strapped her to a boat and transported her across the Niagara River to be sold in New York State. Oh my god. Um, And he presents this case to Lieutenant Governor John Graves Simcoe. So he witnesses this thing and tells the Lieutenant Governor and this event ultimately leads to the act to limit slavery in Upper Canada. Okay. So it's like the display of something so violent and egregious. Yeah. It ultimately is the thing that leads to measured steps to eventually abolish slavery but limit it at least so i think part of it is like you can't take them and sell them elsewhere like you can't remove them from their their location or whatever yeah once raised to approximately 40 men the company commenced training at fort george on the morning of the 13th of october 1812 american forces under major general stephen von ressenlier Russell the third. Oh, <laughs> there's three of them. <laughs> Invaded Upper Canada by crossing the Niagara River at Queenston. The company marched to Queenston from Fort George with Major General Roger Sheaf's reinforcements, arriving after Sir Isaac Brock's death that same day. So, okay. big military guy in Canada, dead. He died. Dead. <laughs> and they're like, God, we're so sad. <laughs> But we have to defend our country from these American invaders. So manly and sad and emotional. Yeah. <laughs> the company joined Captain John Norton's Six Nations Warriors in sniping at the American position from atop Queenston Heights before forming part of Sheaf's battle line. 
Alongside the 41st Regiment of Foot, the 49th Foot, Runchy's company, so they're the 49th Foot, fired a single volley with considerable execution and then charged with a tremendous tumult. (laughs) I've never heard tumult as a noun. (laughs) Because it's tumultuous. Yeah. But tumult. I think that's a word. Tumultuous, turmoil, tumult. Tumult. (laughs) It also just looks funny. T-U-M-U-L-T. Tumult. Uh, bringing the Americans surrender. Wow. So the attack is very successful. And I bet Runchy had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's all Richard. Yeah. <laughs> Having absented himself on the morning of the battle. So he's like 60 something. Yes. Oh yeah. No, this guy, he's like almost 70. He's old, man. Yeah. He's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> he's so old. It's literally Feel like. Feel the burn. It's literally, what's, what's the, what's the movie with. It's like Lethal Weapon. He's just like, I'm too old for this shit. But he just keeps coming back. Just keeps coming back. This 68-year-old Rambo. Coming back for more. (laughs) But you 100% called it on the Runchy thing. So Runchy was absent. Like, he's not there. Yeah, he's useless. (laughs) He's like like William Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's like William Turner's, like, keeper. His master, <laughs> who sits there drunk and then just hits Jack Sparrow over the head with a broken bottle and gets all the glory. <laughs> exactly. Runchy's the past probably... Is ex- like, like <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean is the most accurate period <laughs> drama of our time. Uh, it is funny. funny how, like, how big a cultural landmark that movie is. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's also, for, for those Disney fans out there... Um, this is the Disney Minute from the Minute Women. <laughs> um, Pirates of the Caribbean is actually a ride in Disney World. Yeah. So it started as a ride. Mm-hmm. And then they started making the movies out of the different parts of the ride. Which right. I think is super cool. Yeah. It's such a fun idea. I'm trying to think if there's another, like, there must be another movie that's based on a ride. I don't know. Yeah. So because Runchy was absent, he subsequently resigned. Like, there Thank was this God. huge battle and you just sidelined yourself for the whole day. Um, So the company was commanded temporarily by Lieutenant James Cooper of the 2nd Lincoln Militia. Cooper was cited in dispatches as having led his men with great spirit. Oh, So they they got a cool dude. Cool dad came in in the end. (laughs) Cool dad. Much spirit? Was he a little gay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I thought you were going to be like, was he drunk? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Like he gave us so much rum, it was. The <laughs> I'm just all about finding the poor closeted people in history. You know, okay? I, I there's a whole segment of history that is all about doing that. Really? Yeah, queer history. Queer oh, history is that. like let's go through and find where queerness was and mm. clearly was written out on purpose. Nice. Yeah, fun times. Mm. So the unit gets renamed the Colored or Black Corps. Okay. So You know, which is accurate to what they are. (laughs) The company entered general service and spent the winter at Fort George. On the 27th of May, 1813, because the War of 1812 lasts longer than just 1812. It lasts till like 1814. See, that's, then I don't get it. (laughs) Then I don't (laughs) don't get it. The War of 1812 to 14. New name for the war. It's just silly. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. Was it 12-year war, 12 years? Uh, Yes, but not in all theaters. So, like, the Seven Years' yeah. War is a very important war in Canadian history, but it's really only happening here actively for, like, four years. Weird. I know. Numbers are so 
hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the 27th of May, 1813, a large American force launched an amphibious attack against the fort. Amphibious. Which I imagine we is hard to fish. <laughs> There's no amphibious vehicles. So I'm pretty sure it's like we were in the boat and then we got out of the boat. Into the water. <laughs> Into the water. And then we swam. So my pants are soaked and it's really uncomfortable because now my socks are wet in my shoes. And they're going to be like that for a while because it's the past and they're probably made of wool. Yeah. I'm and just, they probably didn't have a change of clothes. The Battle of Squitchy Toes. Yeah. That's <laughs> what it should have been called. <laughs> The Colored Corps and the British troops rushed to the beach to oppose the landing and exchanged a destructive and rapid fire with the enemy at short range. The Colored Corps lost four of its men, wounded or captured, before it was forced back by a naval gunfire. It retreated with Brigadier General John Vincent's troops to Burlington Heights. For the remainder of the year, the Colored Corps participated in the blockade of the American Army at Fort George, enduring the same harsh conditions as the British troops. After the British captured Fort Niagara on the 19th of December, 1813, the Colored Corps was attached to the Royal Engineers to help repair fortifications at the mouth of the Niagara River. Okay. Whether racism influenced the authorities' choice for this duty is not known, as one engineer later reported, quote, When I visited the Niagara frontier, I found the Corps of free men of color had been raised, but had been turned over that year to the engineers. Any necessity for this, I could never learn, but it seems to have been the fashion in Canada to heap all kinds of duties upon the latter. Hmm. So it's like, it's kind of like in the First World War, the first black battalion was a an, an engineer's, like you just build the infrastructure, like you right. build the trenches, you build the railroads, you don't actually do the fighting, because I think there's some notion that they can't take orders they can't take command or work under stress or things like that so like the minute that even though this is probably one of the more active and and decorated Mm -hmm. cores during this war right the minute that there's an opportunity to give them over to the engineers they do yeah which yeah that's creepy it's just yeah god damn it that's not Toward the spring of 1814, the company was ordered to construct a new fort on the Canadian shore, dubbed Fort Mississauga. With the American Navy in control of Lake Ontario, this work was crucial to the security of British forces in the Niagara Peninsula. One British officer noted that, quote, Mississauga is a pretty little fort and would prevent vessels coming up the river. A pretty, okay. A pretty a little pretty fort. Little fort. <laughs> it's These so pretty. <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> These duties consequently prevented the Colored Corps' participation in the Niagara campaign that summer, even during the subsequent siege of Fort Erie, with which British forces desperately lacked trained engineer troops. Okay. So they're just like, they'd rather be undermanned yep. than like entrust these black troops with something. Which is so dumb. Yeah. The Royal Engineers continued to employ the Colored Corps in the Niagara Peninsula for the remainder of the War of 1812. The Corps' zeal in these works duly impressed British engineers, one reporting in February 1815 that, quote, no people could be better calculated to build temporary barracks than these free men of color, as they are, in general, expert axemen. Mm. So, you know, I mean... They take the job that they're given and they do a very good job. Of yeah, it. they're doing a good job. They're doing a good they're job. They're doing it together. Yes. I think that ultimately is what's important. Like yeah. they have that sense of community that, that they wanted. Richard had been seeking 
for years. And is Richard still kicking? Yeah, he's still around. Oh, he yeah. lives through the whole war. Um, <laughs> it's just he's there. <laughs> The company was disbanded on... <laughs> just like Bernie. Just, like just Bernie. always there. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Feel the burn. <laughs> the company was disbanded on the 24th of March, 1815, following the end of the war. In claiming rewards for their service, many faced adversity and discrimination. Sergeant William Thompson was informed that he, quote, must go and look for his pay himself. While Richard, then at this point in his 70s, was denied his request for passage home to Africa in lieu of a land grant. Mm. So I thought that was so interesting. Like, so they're being paid in land, which isn't being made easy to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then Richard, it just kind of sounds like he's like, I'm going to live out the rest of my life where I came from which is a place he hasn't been since he was 16 years old yeah it's just really amazing to me that that's that's what you would ask for but then of course they were like no yeah they were like funny yeah when grants were distributed in 1812 veterans of the colored corps only received 100 acres half of that of their white counterparts Mm -hmm. which is different from the after the American Revolutionary War black loyalists got the same right um never it's never steady progress yeah history is all about ups and downs that's why you have to be vigilant yeah one step forward two steps back yeah don't take anything for granted yeah many veterans did not settle the land they were granted because it was of poor quality despite these inequities the color court defended canada honorably setting the precedent for the formation of black units in the future hmm. A colored corps was again raised in the Niagara region during the rebellions of 1837 to 38, which we talked about in our last episode yeah. with Louis P. Yeah. <laughs> Louis P. Louis P. LJP. One of the several black or colored corps that volunteered for service. Other units were raised in Toronto, Hamilton, and Sandwich. Oh, <laughs> love that place. On the 19th of January, 1820, in recognition of his contributions during the War of 1812, Richard was granted 100 acres of land on the Grand River in Garifrax Township, Hmm. which is now near Fergus, Ontario. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now in his mid-70s, Richard was still living in Niagara and finding it difficult to support himself as a laborer because he's an old man. (laughs) But imagine being like you're in an engineering, like that's such a physically demanding demanding unit to be a part of. Anyways, he's just so cool. He's so so impressive. And it's like we really don't know that much about him. We only really know about his existence through... The petition that he saw, like yeah. he wrote, and that gives you such a great insight into what life was like for those people. Yeah. Um, and then because of his military service, we have a few more documentation yeah. about him. On the 21st of July, 1821, he petitioned the government of Upper Canada, petitioning again, mm-hmm. um, for his passage back to West Africa. Mm-hmm. In his petition, Robert pleads that he is, quote, above all things desirous to return to his native country. The colonial government did not grant Richard's wish, and he accepted his land grant in Garifraxa. 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 (laughs) Richard fulfilled the settlement requirements for his grant in 1825, probably with the help of a younger man named Deaf Moses. Um, (laughs) Did you say deaf or death? Deaf. Death. So we got Black Dick and Deaf Moses. <laughs> just a bunch of nicknames. Uh, <laughs> it's just oh boy. rich with nicknames this, this episode. Just rich. 
Some histories describe Richard's Land in Garifraxa as a settlement for black Canadians, either persons fleeing enslavement in the United States via the Underground Railroad or people simply in search of the same communal living that Richard had asked for in his petition of free Negroes in 1794. Yeah. So I don't know how official it was, but I think he would just take people in a lot, which... It's probably what he needs. He's a man in his like yeah. mid 70s, but obviously that's part of his life's work and it's philosophies. To him. Yeah. Yeah. Richard died in the winter of 1837-38. He left no family or successors and left his estate to Lemuel Brown of the Grantham Township. His burial place is unknown. Mm. According to oral history in the black Canadian community, Richard was a gifted storyteller in the West African tradition. He traveled around Upper Canada with Death Def Moses. <laughs> Shit. It just sounds like a metal band or <laughs> Death Moses. Like a Christian metal band. Yeah. <laughs> a Hebrew metal band. <laughs> Uh, Seth Cohen was the was Port the lead the singer. <laughs> what? <laughs> he traveled around Upper Canada with Deaf Moses, recounting stories to members of Black communities in both the Niagara and Garifraxa regions. To retell the stories, it said he would pull a pebble from his pouch and launch into a story. So it almost sounds like he has a memory palace. That's so cool. Like he has a physical story attached. Like he uses the rock as like a memory piece. That's so cool. I know. This guy is cool. By the end of his life, he had amassed 94 years of personal experience and countless more through the voices of his community. So not that he's 94 years old, but like right. collectively the stories that he he could tell would have been like told over a period of 94 years. Mm-hmm. His legacy is that of a leader in the early black community who fought and petitioned for causes important to himself, his community and to Canada as a whole. His petitions provide the picture of a man taken from his home and enslaved as a teenager who fought for his freedom in two wars and worked to build a black community amid prejudice and discrimination. Mm -hmm. In 2013, the government of Canada named a federal building in London, Ontario, the Richard Pierpoint Building, in recognition of his contribution to the Colored Corps in the War of 1812. Mm. That's nice. And that's Richard. That's Richard. That's Richard. I like that guy. He's such a cool guy. He's He's like unproblematic. (laughs) So unproblematic, just so badass. I like him. Yeah. And it's super interesting when, like, it's so hard to know a lot about minority groups Mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. But when they engage in the legal process, like, that's when you actually get to see them. That's when you get them. Yeah. And so it's really cool because he was like, in some ways, he's like that old cranky man who's yeah. always going down to the fucking office and is yeah. like, I've got another complaint. Yeah. But I would like to see some change, please. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. because of that, he's this great, you just see uh, a piece of this really great leader in That's Canada's cool. black community, early black community. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of our podcast. We always love to have you guys follow along with our episodes and our journey and what's going on with us. So if you want to check us out on Instagram and Facebook, we are at Minute Women Podcast on both those social media channels, always posting fun stuff. We're also on Twitter at The Minute Women. And then we also have a website that has all of our episodes, all of the artwork for the episodes, as well as all of the sources that Grace uses to 
to research and cite. So you can find that at www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. We're on all major podcast platforms. Sure are. Make sure you turn on notifications so you know on every Wednesday when we release a new episode. And if it's a possibility, make sure that you rate and review the podcast. That's the best way to support us as of right now. As yeah. we come up on our one-year anniversary. Crazy. We're really close. And we have some, like, things planned. So it's going to be exciting. <laughs> And even more exciting news, on February 11th, we are doing another session of Pickford in a Podcast at Pickford and Black here we in sure Halifax. Are. It's always a fun time. Super exciting. It's really great for Grace and I to get out and you guys can see us while we do a podcast. It's, yeah. a, it's a fun fun experience for us, so we'd love to see you there. Yeah, it'll start at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing another episode of Should Have Been a Minute, so yes. we'll both be coming up with some sort of story. And maybe you can let us know in the comments or like maybe yeah. we can set up a poll if you think we should do it themed. It's going to be yeah. right before Valentine's Day, February 11th. So we were thinking of trying to do like a love theme. But yeah. let us know if you think that is a good idea. You, if you hate that and think that's trash, let <laughs> us know. Also, if you have a good idea for oh, a yeah. in a minute, we're always, you know, it's so much work scouring the internet Ugh, for these untold stories. So, so if you have work. a good one that you think we would like or maybe it's from just like a part of Canada that we mm-hmm. wouldn't think to go to, like, shoot us a DM, send yeah. us something. We'll make a post on Instagram, definitely, definitely on Twitter. And let us know. Yeah, let us know what you think we should talk about. Okay. Awesome. So hope to see you at Pickford and Black on February 11th, 8 p.m. Be there. Be there or be square. Bye. Bye.